Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Josh Newberg. I have with me Chris Nee and Brendan Sinone. Uh, the three of us also happen to work together on the website Knowles 24-7. And um, I've been with Knowles 24-7 for, in covering this FSU program for nine years. Chris has covered the program for a little bit longer, Brendan a little bit less. Yesterday, Saturday was a bad day. I've been around for a few bad days. This is maybe one of the worst of the uh, quote unquote bad days. FSU lost to Miami on Saturday, 27 to 10 inside Doak Campbell stadium. Um, it was FSU's third loss to the Canes in a row. We're going to break it all down in a minute. Um, but guys, FSU is off to a nine and 11 start under Willie Taggart all season. We've tried to come up with the measurements that show that this team is better. We screw, we squint real hard over wins over NC State and Syracuse and Louisville, um, just to show this team is improving. Uh, but it's not, and the record indicates that. Brendan, you wrote an article on Friday called Taggart's Turnaround Has to Start Now as Miami Rivalry Looms. I'll just read the first two sentences. Uh, I'm sorry, the last two sentences of that story. Few games have the chance to change a narrative for better or worse, like a rivalry contest in need of something substantial to cling to and to sell tomorrow is essential for Taggart. If he's going to turn this thing around, um, Chris, yes. do you think this was Taggart's I'm, last stand? I'm, hang on. I'm so poetic. Aren't I guys? Sorry. Go ahead, Chris. I mean, for I all it's his last stand, Chris, I, what, I what, mean, you, yeah, go ahead. I wrote after the game that's a results oriented business and he's not producing the results. He's actually nine and 12. Now he was nine and 11 going into that one. Yeah. I was going to attack that one in the right column. So he's sitting at nine and 12. He can't beat a rival. He's lost three in a row to Miami or I'm sorry. He's lost two in a row to Miami. The program has lost three in a row to Miami. My biggest issue, and it's not solely a win or loss situation is that Mm -hmm. FSU today is very much in the exact same boat. FSU was 12 months ago. There's slight improvements with statistics, as Willie Taggart referenced in his postgame comments. But at the end of the day, they're four and five after nine games. They're battling for bowl eligibility. And they do a lot of things to self-destruct themselves. The penalties yesterday were inexcusable. Some of the usage of timeouts because of yeah. uh, incorrect number of players on the field, that's inexcusable. You're at a point where there's things that need to be corrected within this program that you've had your time to do so, and they failed to do so. It's and there's the same other shit, issues. man. It's the same shit, right? Like this is the same stuff we talked about last year. Sorry. It there's, just it aggravates me. There's other issues such as personnel. Quarterback room never has been very good under Willie Taggart. He hasn't done much to rectify that issue. O line was a mess when he got here. It truthfully might be even more of a mess today than it was when he first got here, which is simply amazing to say because they were insanely bad last year. But they gave up nine sacks yesterday. Some of that was playing a statue at quarterback. Their defensive line can't produce results. And when you can't produce results with a pass rush, you're going to get beat because that's the most important part of your defense. And then you have moments like, oh, you know, a bomb going over the top and two defensive backs arguing instead of trying to <laughs> tackle the guy short of the end zone. We're so going to get to all that. Yeah, you just tack that on top. And it's like, what are we doing here? Like, to me, the jig is up. We get what's going on. The coaching isn't very good. The development isn't very good. The fixing of issues is very poor. And FSU is in a bad, bad state. Firing a guy two years in, it's a tough call. But, I mean, it's a conversation we're at. And he's created that conversation by the results not improving enough. All right. I don't know if Chris really answered it, answered it. But, Brendan, was this the final nail in the coffin? 
Man, this is Groundhog Day. Everything Chris said, is, like we could just play that podcast again, like after uh, many different losses, like the same clip. We could play that and insert it in any different podcast. This is Taggart's last stand. I, I don't know definitively yes or no. Like if this is, uh, I think that this was a pretty damning loss, though, man, and, and one that's going to be hard to overcome. Because what I wrote in the uh, on Friday, it's not only another loss, like Chris said. There's 12 now under Taggart, mm-hmm. and it's against Miami. It's against a rival. It's against a team that's not very good. Like this is a mediocre Miami team. This Miami is a team game. that just lost to Georgia Tech at home and barely beat Pitt. Like this is not a good. This is not a good Miami team. Uh, so in some sense, like you know, you you were further away from this year's Miami team than you were against last year's Miami team, which was better. The signs of progress, while there are some, are not nowhere near enough. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of frustration internally, mm-hmm. not just with the coaches, but with the players. Uh, I got a lot of feedback working the phones to late last night uh, with, with a lot of people who feel that the coaching staff is letting the players down today. I think the players feel that way. They feel like they're being failed, which is a really tough place to be uh, if you're a player to not have trust in the, in the guys overseeing you. Um, so, so to me, man, and, and that's not even getting into the administrative or, or booster stuff and, and where the people who, who make decisions, uh, how they feel about it, that I'm not as well sourced with as, as you guys, but, uh, the, the minutia, like the little nitty gritty with the way that the team interacts with each other. Like there's a lot of warning signs right now that make me think that this is going to be hard to, to keep selling to players right now. Uh, is this his last stand? Was it, uh, I think that we could probably point back to this at the end of the season as, as being the game that, that probably uh, that, that they could have, they could have broken Willie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. I, I, I can't, I can't I think, answer it definitively and obviously, but, but it doesn't look good, man. No, I agree. It, it didn't look good yesterday. And um, without saying it definitively, like you guys, I mean, I do think that this was kind of the, this was, kind of the make or break game for, for Willie Taggart, but maybe cause I'm a recruiting guy. Um, I, I think that it ultimately is going to come down to recruiting is going to be what undoes Willie Taggart. And, you know, I've been harping on the lack of signing a QB for two years. And now you see why, I mean, there's no real option on this, on this team to go to anymore. Um, they got no Juco help after losing Brian Burns. You know, they didn't address the pass rush. They didn't address, the offensive tackle situation and, and recruiting is just moving backwards. Uh, you know, they finished 11 when Taggart got here and, and we thought that that was going to be the lowest that they ever finished. You know, we always thought it was going to be within the top 10. And then I think last year was a, a number 14 class and this year is going to surely slide down to somewhere between, you know, around 18, maybe 20. And overall that's just not moving in the right direction. No matter how much more time you give, that recruiting isn't changing. And to me, that's the lifeblood of the program. That's what really indicates the strength and where you stand as a program. So I do that. Yeah. Brendan. Sorry, it would help if I unmute my microphone Uh, to your point, Josh, and and with the recruiting, this became apparent to me sometime after the Clemson game. uh, And I remember having a conversation with, with a friend afterwards saying like that game doesn't really change anything. But to me, it, it shined such a bright light on what Florida state has failed to do 
mm-hmm. to fix these issues that you just talked about, these recurring issues, not just with the, the game management that Chris talked about earlier. That's all uh, part of it. But the recruiting portion, which Willie Taggart was brought in to do, correct? And that's one of his biggest strengths is as a recruiter. That's what he was billed as, as doing very well at USF and then did it in the one season at Oregon, was building a great recruiting class. Uh, so he was supposed to do at Florida State with his Florida ties. The issue, like you said, though, is he hasn't addressed you know the quarterback position to the anywhere to the extent of which needs to be done. Not signing a prep player two years in a row is incredible. Uh, I believe it was the only FSU was the only team in Power Five to do that in that stretch and not sign a, a quarterback. Not getting immediately immediate help to fix the offensive line, huge problem. Uh, the defensive line, not not knowing that there's a uh, going to be this sizable drop off with Brian Burns or at least not being able to address it as edge rusher. Uh, you saw that with only two sacks against Miami last night against a team that gets sacked a ton. Uh, I don't know who the heir apparent to Marvin Wilson is. So, so the cycle of you're not recruiting at elite enough level to overcome your shortcomings as an X and O guy, as a play caller, it's this abusive cycle. Like they, they're, they can't get out of it right now. Cause how are you going to convince kids to come here and be difference makers uh, when you're not showing the on-field results to to make this an attractive program for Florida State. It's it's just going to keep going around in a circle. I think that's where we're at right now. I don't know how you break through. That, that again, leads me to believe that that this isn't going in a good direction for, for Willie or for Florida State. Hmm. Two simple yeah. points I'll make on top of that is that the one thing they did address and do a fairly decent job of is linebacker. That group is better than when they walked in the door. The issue is that they didn't address others, and they also have created a massive issue at defensive end. There's a reason FSU pass rush can't get home. It's that they're not very talented at defensive end. Some of that's a Joshua Kando injury, but they've been trying to be creative all year with creating a pass rush, and it's just not there. They're just not good enough at it. Um, if you can't get home on Miami, then you're you're just you're dead in the water. And the other thing I would add is I think that this staff is incredibly poor at self evaluation. There's no way on earth you walk in and look at that roster and not understand some of the massive issues you have and get to work immediately on trying to fix those issues. And then you allow other issues to develop while certain things constantly happen on the actual playing field that you don't correct with the way opposing offenses can attack you, with the way you self-destruct with penalties, with the way you handle certain things from an offensive standpoint, like fourth and ones where you can't run the ball and you try to push forward for one yard, giving great field position to the opposition, swinging the momentum of the game. Those things are all to me, things that point directly to coaching in the sense of understanding who and what you are and how you become better and how you move forward. And in two years of Willie Taggart's regime, they've been really poor at that. And to me, that's the reason why I think pulling the plug two years in is not out of the realm of possibility because yeah, you haven't given them a whole lot of time to do a rebuild or a turnaround. No doubt about that. I'm not arguing that point. And I agree with people that shows a lack of patience, but I also think showing patience with him is going to show some results as we're currently getting because he's not shown the ability to get in order and start working towards a better product. Yeah. And, um, identifying that, was an issue when they arrived. Um, and I think it continues to be an issue it, 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 as far as identifying just how massive these problems are. Like why were there no QBs on campus over the summer? Just to throw, even if you don't offer them, why did we not see a mass amount of arms on campus? Why at the big man camp, 
were they not inviting every offensive and defensive lineman within a hundred mile radius to come work out for them? Why is FSU not active now with JUCO offensive linemen? Why is David Kelly not at a at a junior college scouting offensive linemen every weekend to 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 find an answer? You know, because if they don't find those answers, you just have no hope of getting this thing going. And it just goes back to recruiting. You can kind of predict the future in recruiting. And with us as, as a recruiting-based site and, and with us having a deep knowledge in recruiting, I think we can kind of see behind the curtain and understand that, like, you know, the foundation just isn't right. Yeah, FSU is a less talented team today than they were 12 months ago and a less talented team than they were 12 months prior to that. And the other and they're about to be that, a lot less talented. Right. And it's trending that way. And the other issue is that the issues they have, the positions that are weaknesses that hamstring this team from being successful, you know, O-line, quarterback, things like that. What have they done to correct that? Jeff Sims is a quarterback answer. They need more than just Jeff Sims, but he is a quarterback answer. O-line, I don't see the answers. D-line, I don't see the fix. That That's the ongoing issue. We currently have two scholarship running backs on the roster and five scholarship receivers. Now, some of the receiver issue is due to injuries for Pokey Wills and Keyshawn Helton. But still, the fact that you are short on numbers at crucial positions point back to in recruiting, you did not sign skill players. You Slander. created this issue. Slander. You created this issue. So if you're going to cre- create issues for yourself, you're never going to fix the problem. You're never going to get better. The future doesn't hold positive returns if the present isn't addressing the needs to make those returns happen. Let's not ignore the game. Um, let's talk a little can bit we? about. <laughs> nah, unfortunately, Chris is, fi- Chris is fired up right now. No, no not fired um, up. But the, the, the game, the game was an uninspired mess. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest; it was an uninspired mess. You played well, your rival you in your home stadium. Talk about it, so talk about it. Go ahead. Okay, you played your you played your in, one of your in-state rivals in your home stadium in front of the best crowd you've had in two years. Well, since the VTech game, and you had 15,000 people less than sell, 14,000 people less than the last time you played Miami and Doak. So that kind of points to things aren't going the right direction. But it's an uninspired mess. You, you have no pulse out of the locker room. You have no success on offense. You know that Miami's got a great defensive line with guys like Gregory Rousseau, and you do nothing to block it up or to get away from it quickly. Your quarterback holds on to the ball too long. Your quarterback can't push the ball down the field. Your running back, who has a banged-up toe, which you let us know after the game, touches the ball a lot in that game. I believe he was in for 60-some-odd plays. So no one can correct me on that if I'm incorrect on that number. You're, you are he's correct. He's in there a lot. 60-something. You see a good bit of wild cam, good bit of hands-off. Miami's running defense is stout. It's going to do well. But you still go at it. And then defensively, they played a lot of bend-don't-break, but they couldn't get home against a pretty woeful Miami offensive line. And your secondary has issues. They have issues within themselves. They don't like each other a lot, it seems. There was arguing on the damn field for everybody watching a national television audience to notice. So what what are we doing here? You come out in the second half. It's still a football game. You need a touchdown to make it within a touchdown game. You get that. You're a little fired up for the first time all day. And then fourth quarter rolls out. You basically roll over, play dead, and give up 10 points and get put away 
without really a fight down the stretch against your in-state rival. It just was embarrassing. I can't imagine anybody that has an FSU diploma hanging on their wall, anybody that's paid a lot of money in their life to go to FSU games, anybody that loves this university and this football program being happy with the product they saw yesterday. They didn't get beat by some great team. They got beat by a team that's fairly mediocre in the same ballpark of what FSU was viewed as walking into the door yesterday. And they got the brakes beat off them by that team. They offense produced 203 yards, I believe it was, while giving up 353 yards. It was actually the best run defense day for FSU this year, allowing only 40 yards on the ground. But they allowed Jaron Williams, a guy who's been ultra inconsistent this season and who has been benched, to come out and throw for a career high against them and hit multiple bombs down the seam and eat them alive in the flat. It just, everything about it was bad. Penalties, you had 10, you racked those up largely early in the game. The offense couldn't line up if they're like dependent on it. You're, you couldn't protect your quarterback. You couldn't allow your quarterback to get anything going. It looked like you were ill-prepared to handle the things you know Miami can do well. It just, it yelled of, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. Um, uh, Brandon, the offensive line was abysmal. Uh, did it, it, you said it, you told me it broke records. It's, it did, but not in a good way. Nine sacks allowed is the most FSU has a load allowed in program history, right? Chris, most in program Correct. history, nine. Uh, uh yeah. and they allowed eight earlier this year. And I remember we were trying to confirm what, whether that was the most and we believed it was so, so, or tied for the most. So nine would be a record breaker. Um, with the offensive line, you, know, you knew Miami was going to get pressure. That's something they do well. They came in the game averaging about three sacks per game. And and like Chris mentioned, they had several really talented defensive linemen. So like we knew that was going to be a problem. Uh, I think the issue was, I mean, many issues. Uh, but, but one of the problems was is the game plan. One, I don't know how you can really work around it. But you have a quarterback who can't stretch the field vertically. Miami essentially loaded the box, played a lot of zero coverage, and just forced FSU to try to beat them outside. He did some screens that worked a little bit outside, but not a ton. But there's no threat of any kind of vertical passing game. Uh, he didn't do anything to stress Miami out. I, I don't know what you can do as a play caller, uh, but but this didn't seem like Kendall Brown's best you know game plan. And I don't know if the Cam Akers toe injury impacted the wild cam. I thought we were going to see more of it than we did, even though we saw about uh, a dozen or so snaps from that formation. Uh, probably thought it was going to be more. I thought that's what FSU did best on the day, uh, but really n- no answers for Miami's defense. And it kind of, again, it circles back around to what we've been talking about this entire podcast, which is the lack of answers that Florida state has addressed in the previous off seasons. We don't have a quarterback right now that you trust clearly, or at least between going back and forth between James Blackman and Alex Hornibrook. If neither of those guys are the options, that falls on Willie Taggart. He has two pro-style quarterbacks trying to run a spread offense. Uh, they have not addressed that need uh, with someone who who can fit uh, what they want to do and has some mobility to make up for an offensive line that hasn't really been addressed all that well either. I think we think Dante Lucas and Darius Washington are bright spots, but those are two true freshmen starting on the left side of the offensive line. How many other teams in the country have two true freshmen starting right next to each other? That, that is going to lead to ups and up and down performances. It's not fair to put those guys in that position. Uh, so this all comes back down to just, you know, to me, Josh, this game very much so was the sum of all our fears mm-hmm. heading into this season. The thing that, that we thought could derail FSU at various points throughout the year, uh, almost all of those weaknesses were magnified last night against a pretty middling mediocre Miami team. This wasn't Clemson that came out and beat your ass. 
This was freaking Miami with a freshman quarterback who's been sacked a ton this year for a defense that's been you know aggressive but not elite, not elite, a good defense, and they just they they worked you uh, and they led wire to wire. And other than the little glimpse of hope that FSU offered up in the third quarter, uh, this game was really never competitive. Pass rush wasn't there. Again, you never really address edge rusher. We were told that that was going to be okay this season. It hasn't been, other than getting some interior pass rush. The offensive line, we were told, was going to be better. It's marginally better than last year, going from the Is worst it? in the country. Yeah, yeah. It's it's overall it's better. But last, last year, but last year at this time, there was pitchforks and fire coming out for to fire Greg Fry. Right at this point last I year, mean, uh, I think this year are we just resigned to the fact that it doesn't matter well, who's coaching it. The offensive line, uh, I mean, we're going to get into argument over semantics on this one. The I mean, offensive line, it, it was the worst in the country last I don't hear any heat on Randy Clemens. No, I don't think there was a ton. Man, was there a ton of heat on, on Greg Fry at this point last season? I really don't recall that. Like, I feel like people understood that he was he, he dealt a crappy hand. And, and the fire Greg Fry stuff really came after they, they were readdressing the offensive coordinator position and Bryles was higher. And that's when people were like, Oh, we got to get rid of fry. Cause you knew Randy Clements was coming in uh, if memory serves, but I don't know. I mean, the offensive line, is it better? Yeah. I think it's like 10% better than last year. I think at least you have some building blocks moving forward now not enough of them. Uh, but, but you do have some, it's, it went from being the worst in power five, arguably last year to maybe, you know, now it's in the, the bottom 10 in power five. Yeah. And I, and I'm not, here to blame the coaches i think that regardless of who's coaching this offensive line they're they're not going to be much better than they are this year next year because i don't see anything being done to significantly improve the talent across the line i mean you're going to lose your one grad transfer that's been your starter all season and then you got question marks across the board some of the young guys while they're playing i mean somebody's got to play right you can say there's there's a lot of optimism because Darius Washington and Dante Lucas are playing, but they're not playing all that well. They're making a lot of mistakes. I mean, and again, it comes back to somebody like you have to have somebody on the field. They just yeah. happen to be those guys. I don't necessarily see them out there making a, a significant difference in, in the talent level. Yeah, well, those are two true freshmen. Again, the grading curve for true freshmen on the offensive line, how many true freshmen across the country come out and perform well at a consistently high basis? Only Jerry, a few. And exactly. And you're putting yourself in that position to where, because you didn't address it through junior college, like the lone Juco offensive lineman you got, has he played a snap this year? I think he played a couple of snaps against Syracuse. He's basically a non-factor. Yeah. Uh, the graduate transfer you got like Robert Ryan Roberts is, is fine. He's probably better than what you had last year, but he's still below average starter in the ACC. And you traded him essentially, well, you didn't, not a direct trade, but you, know, you got him, but you lose Landon Dickerson in the process. We see how that's worked out at Alabama. Like they didn't address their needs instantly at a position that absolutely needed it. They went into the season thinking that Jawan Williams was going to be the answer. And they were able to get something out of him. That was like fool's gold. And, and they, they did it to themselves. And like they knew that was going to be a problem. nothing on the current commit list that's going to impact FSU. Do, it doesn't seem like, I mean, I, I like Schrader and what he can become, but yeah, you don't have that instant. And like a guy like Darius Washington probably wasn't supposed to start this season. He was maybe going to get worked in and, and this is going to be a red shirt year. And now he's starting that left tackle, which is the most important position on the football field. Uh, you know, Dante Lucas to basically be a day one starter as a true freshman. That really doesn't happen. So yeah, I'm not, I don't want to judge the freshmen for being up and down performers. I don't know if that's fair. It's more right, like but coaching my point staff is not, not starting, addressing. 
they're not starting because they're impact guys. You know, they weren't five star offensive tackles out of high school. They're, they're guys that probably wouldn't be seeing the field anywhere else in the country outside of the school that they're at. And they're, you know, they're still playing on an offensive line that just gave up nine sacks against their rival. That's four and four. None of it's man. None of it's good right now. (laughs) And we still have no answer at QB. I saw a lot of people again, asking, about Jordan Travis. If Jordan just, Travis was capable, he would have gotten looks at this point. Guys move on from Jordan Travis right yeah. now. Maybe, maybe the flip call. switches in the off season, but no, I got a right phone now. call last night from somebody close to the program and they were, they said, Josh, you know, why not? Why didn't we see Jordan Travis? I said, look, I go, do you believe that this coaching staff is trying to win? And he said, yeah, I, you know, yeah, they're coaching for their job. I said, well, if they believe Jordan Travis could help them, he would have been on the field at some point. And they're right. like, yeah, it's true. There's, <laughs> and I just think no it's reason simple to not, that, right? There's no reason to not play him if you think he can play, even in sub packages or something. No, there's a reason why the the best performance we, we've heard he's had was the spring game. I think people saw the spring game because that's the only thing they can see, cling to it, and be like, oh, he can do that all the time. Well, that was against a defense that basically he knew predetermined what they were going to run. They can only run several things during that game. It was his best performance by far of the spring. No, and I'm not saying you completely write him off, but but right now uh, he's not a factor. See what he does in the off season uh, if he develops, but right now there's there's a reason why he's not playing. That's that's just you know people wanted to see James Blackman all last season because DeAndre Francois wasn't getting it done, and they want to see Alex Hornerbrook you know for a good chunk of this season. Now they want to see the other like you're just going down the list, mm-hmm. clinging to to something. You want to see more wild game makers, baby. <laughs> what about the quarterback? Thankfully, we haven't gotten. Um the push to get the walk out on the field after seeing one practice clip. Thankfully that ha- hasn't happened yet this season. If, if Wyatt Rector was, uh, was eligible, if he did receive his waiver this season, people would be clamoring for him right now too. Cause that's just how this works, man. It's like everyone wants to see the next yeah, guy. I don't blame, hey, hey, is- I, I don't blame the fans. They want to, they want to exhaust every option, you know, they're, but they're not at practice and they don't know. Um, Looking at the topics, we talked about Cam Akers' production. We talked about the O-line. We talked about the pass rush. We talked about still no having no answer at QB. Anything else we want to talk about from this game before before I move on? Good answer. All right. So kind of wanted to just wrap this podcast up with what our expectations are moving forward. Give us some of, give our thoughts on, on how this, the end of the season might play out, that sort of thing. Um, the first thing I want to say is, you know, I, I stand behind what I reported on this podcast two weeks ago about what was kind of happening behind the scenes and everything that has only probably, or has intensified. I mean, FSU is going to do their due diligence. They're going to understand the numbers and understand everything and, and who's in their corner and who's ready to support the, the administration if they're prepared to make a move. I have no information on a timeline. Uh, um, don't know that yet. going to continue to make calls today and, and through, through the week and see what happens. I don't think any decision's been made. Uh, we've all kind of been making calls and just getting a, getting a pulse for what's going on. And, you know, I'm just going to say, I do think this was Taggart's last stand. Um, the way that I perceive it going down, ideally, I think, and this is just my opinion. So if anybody wants to take this out of context, please just go ahead. I'm just going to say that this is my opinion. And I think a good way to, 
to do it, you know, pressure is going to continue to build next week. They go on the road to beat Boston college. That's going to be a physical game. FSU is going to have to show up to beat Boston college, whether they win or lose the pressure is still going to build. Cause FSU is going to come home to an empty stadium at facing Alabama state. And then they're going to get throttled on the road against Florida to, to end the season. And um, I think everybody knows kind of what's happening. And like Brendan said, he, he talked and it sounds like the players are, are really upset, which means that the staff is probably losing the locker room to an extent. And um, I think pressure is only going to continue to build. And one way to alleviate that would be to make this move about six or seven days before the Florida game. I think uh, um, that'll alleviate a lot of the anxieties and pressures around the players and the coaches. It also give you six, seven days head start on what's going to be another crazy off season with a lot of coaches coming and going. Um, and maybe, Hey, maybe we're leaving all that pressure right before a game like that. You guys can go out and have fun and, and maybe take a shot at beating Florida. Um, but I'm not sure we see, I, I, I would tend to doubt that we see movement here in the next 48 hours. Obviously we're all going to be working on that and making calls to see what we can find out. But I just don't anticipate something like that happening right now. What you guys want to chime in? Maybe Chris, do you want to chime in or do you want me to go first? I have at it. Sinone. All right. No one really cares what I have to say on this though. Right. We can all probably agree on I that. Care. Okay. Um, as far as the timeline goes, Josh, I, I don't, I'm a proponent of this is me being a very anxious person as the podcast listeners know uh, when something makes me uncomfortable when i know i need to address something i have to get it done right away and that's crisis management 101 is you don't delay until tomorrow what needs to be done today if you're florida state and you don't think willie taggart is the is the guy who's going to get you where you want to go and i think at this point we've talked about this on the podcast for the last 45 minutes, it certainly seems that there's a lot of signs that would say that, that he's not going to get you where you want to go. And the, you know, this, this abusive cycle of just losing and not being able to attract good recru- recruits is only going to keep continuing right now. There's nothing showing you that it's going to turn around right now. Uh, there's no evidence of that. Uh, then, yeah, I think you have to make a tough decision. And we talked about this previously. I wrote it last week. I mean, there's a lot of financials, obviously, you know, multi-millions of dollars involved with keeping him or getting rid of him. So it's not a good option either way. Uh, it, but if your belief is for the long-term growth of the program and the health of it, if, if you don't think Willie Taggart is the guy who gets you where you need to go, you have to kind of swallow that poison pill of that buyout, I think, and, and you have to do it sooner rather than later. Again, that's, that's what administration and the, and the power brokers and the people get paid a lot more money than I do to make more difficult decisions. And I, I'm just speculating on, on, on a podcast here. If the, if the guys who make decisions think that Willie Taggart isn't the right guy for them, uh, I think that they have to make a difficult decision uh, and they have to do it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I, I'm just thinking ahead to the off season, you know, it'd be a, it would pre- be a pretty dry, dry off season, you know, whether it be re- in recruiting at all at the junior days and the, in the booster tours and then the summer camps and, um, Right. Like you said, you, you imagine what the Alabama state attendance is going to look like in two weeks, Josh. Imagine what the season tickets are going to look like next for this upcoming season. Like, I mean, you're talking about the recruiting stuff and that's an important part of it. But but the people who are making decisions are looking at the 
the dollar signs, right? Like yeah, and I saw people to. say some stuff about recruiting. Like if if Florida State does make a coaching change, you're going to lose some commitments. And it's like, well, if Florida State doesn't make a coaching change, they're also going to lose some commitments. And that is true. Any time that you make a coaching change, there's going to be a couple ends that come loose. There's going to be some guys that reopen their recruitment. But also, you have to understand that when you make a coaching hire, just the opposite happens. No matter who you hire, there's going to be some excitement. There's going to be hope. Um, and, and, and kids are going to be convinced to jump on board. So, yes, if Willie Taggart leaves, there will be decommitments. But once, his, once the new hire comes in place – They'll start recruiting and there will be commitment. So um, I don't think recruiting in this instance, since we don't see immediate answers on the commitments, I don't think recruiting plays a big factor in the ultimate decision here. Let me I have two questions for you guys. Uh, First one, and and this I haven't really thought that just both popped up in my mind in the last minute or so. Uh, One, what does Willie Taggart and the staff do well right now like what are the strengths that you can definitively say that's a hard thing to say that's that's one and then the other question is if this is a hypothetical if if a buyout wasn't a factor for florida state if they didn't have to worry about the money i know they do and that's part of it if they didn't though would willie taggart still be coaching at florida state if they could just say magically erase all this and start over again i think the first question i'll answer the first one chris can answer the second um what do they do really good? Uh, they're good with their PR and their spin. I mean, before the season, they came out with that campaign to blame it all on Jimbo. And then last week, they went to a certain media member and gave him a bunch of quotes about how, you know, everything's just right on track and and all that. So they're good at trying to get ahead of the storm. I don't know what else they're good at right now. What was the second question again, Sonone? I want to if, make sure I answer it appropriately. If oh, thank you. If FSU did not have to pay a buyout to Willie Taggart, if they could just clean slate, let him go, would they do that right now? Oh hell yeah! <laughs> I, I think there's no doubt on that. I think I think the biggest thing holding up a decision right now is financials. But there, there's financials is a deep word here. It's not solely paying a man to go away. It's about ticket sales. It's about booster donations, about paying off a staff head coach and his other staff members, hiring a new staff. So it's multi-level, but solely on the question of if you could save basically $17 million and move on from what's not working. Yeah, I think they would definitely do that. I don't think they'd hesitate to do that. Isn't that telling then? Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, FSU is not in a good spot. They, they hired a guy who they thought could fix it. And that was a hope. That was a belief. And there were reasons to believe he could. Uh oh. I think we I think we lost Chris. And he was just scaring up for a good point. Coach at FSU. Nope. Here he's back. It, it, it doesn't show signs of that. <laughs> I think he okay, said something good. very important. <laughs> well, I think that's about it. I mean, do you guys will maybe get on a pod later this week or if there's any other developments, but as usual, we expect Willie Taggart to be at his press conference at noon on Monday. That'll be the first time that he speaks since the since the game. Um, well, since his presser, they'll have practice today as they normally do. Anything out of the abnormal, we'll report it on Knowles twenty four seven. Do you guys have anything else you want to wrap it up? I don't. This was 
this was a cathartic podcast. I'm happy we had it. Hopefully this is informative. I know a little emotional, but, but you know, I think sometimes that's probably a good thing. Yeah. And I still got a, a bunch of calls. Uh, I got yeah, Go ahead, Chris. I, I'd add one thing. I'd remove all emotion and ask the simple question of is FSU getting better? I asked that every single that? It's no this week. Right. And, but is it no in the grand scheme of two years? And if the answer is no there, then I think we know where we're at. And we could argue that some things are better for FSU than when Willie got here, but overall uh, the results aren't any significantly different. You could maybe argue that they're worse. All right. For Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee, I'm Josh Newberg, and we are on the bench. Thanks for listening.